Hey everybody, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jonathan. And we are the Evangelicals. Man, another episode. This is groundbreaking for us. We are back at it again, folks, and uh, excited to be here. And just a, a follow-up, an update from last episode. Um, I think you said Ohio State was going to win by 10. I mean, This I, is just, at this point, it's lemon juice I'd in have the wound. To check. It's lemon juice in the paper. I'd have to go back point. and check the, uh, <laughs> the tape. The archives, yeah. The tape. But, um, yeah, it was, it was not a 10-point difference. For the for the Buckeyes, at least, yeah, a little bit more or than just, yeah, a little bit more than ten. But uh, yeah, it's great day. It's a great day, and and I'll be honest with you, like it's it's fun, but but the real joy for me was my watching my youngest son. Like we were just going crazy, and and it was just awesome. And and he looked at me and he goes, Dad, this is actually a day that I hope school doesn't get canceled tomorrow. <laughs> I am ready to go oh, and talk goodness. to all my friends because he oh. listen he gets it like he gets ribbed and and he just said man all my friends were talking about how terrible Alabama is and they're really not that great oh. and we're just gonna run all over oh. them and and so he was like oh this is I was like well just be kind but enjoy you know like you get your chance to to to, to speak for your team uh but just you really don't have to say anything, right? Because the, the the game said everything that needed to be said. I do just want to I want to say something. All right, go ahead. I want to say something. Uh, you know, uh, great season for Alabama. I, we were commenting before the before the game or before the episode today. Uh, it I would I would prefer you know it to be like you know the 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 Miami teams in the eighties and nineties or something where like I feel like you know all these kids are just terrible individuals and. I'd like to be a sore loser in that way, but the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, I kind of like a lot of the players on uh, Alabama's team, particularly Devontae Smith. But I do want to say something about Ohio State's defense. So the trademarks of Ohio State football have been typically a strong running game and a good defense. Now, this has changed kind of in the more recent years, Urban Myers, and obviously Ryan Day is uh, kind of a quarterback developer. However, let's just talk about the defense. I mean, Devontae Smith had so much space to catch everything. Now, I get it. I get it. He's super fast. He's really athletic. But the thing is, Ohio State's strength in the corner position and in in their secondary is not these super fast, small guys that just want to run with people, but it's big, strong, you know, cover players. And we did zero bump and run. Like, we didn't hit this guy at all. And, I mean, this is kind of a part of the game of football. And I just, um, as a fan, I was dying the whole game. Like and listen, folks. I only played high school football, so if anybody, if you, if anyone, you know, wants to say, "Oh, you don't even understand," it's not that simple. You might be right. You might be right. I may be an idiot. I mean, Ryan Day's not calling I, you, asking you to come. No, and, he's and, no. There's never been any consulting <laughs> sessions. But I'm just sitting there. I mean, you know, there was. I understood it. You know, and as a high school defender, that I wasn't very fast, and so when I was matched up on somebody who was faster than me, you try to use kind of like what's to your advantage, and it just didn't make any sense to me. The approach to the Alabama passing game the whole night, that's all I'm going to say. Congratulations to everybody in Alabama. You know, furthermore, I mean, Alabama did, because of kind of the Big Ten regulations and stuff, like, I mean, Alabama played a lot more games. Sure. And so even for them... It was a long, it was a longer season of games than Ohio State, and did you know just uh, 
it's I mean it's great to kind of have that at the end of such a kind of a frustrating year to experience that and get that. You know, the Buckeyes made it to the national championship game. I mean, Absolutely. great for them. They beat, we beat Clemson. I mean, it was a there there's a lot of good to go around. I almost feel like that was your national championship was beating Clemson. Oh, it, um, in many ways it was. I mean, it was it was such a um Kind of a kind of like a what do you call it payback or retribution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. because they've just had our number. You know, I think that was the first time in school history that we beat Clemson. Absolutely. You know, I mean, so it's yeah, so yeah, so that happened. A lot's happened in the past two weeks. It's oh, been yeah. kind of crazy. So <laughs> that happened. <laughs> that wasn't even yeah. The top. And then, of, so we did our last episode after the Capitol was stormed, and so since very then, very soon after it, it was the day after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I saw a, a me or not a meme a. a thing like the last three Wednesdays so we had the Capitol the next Wednesday we had an impeachment and then this yesterday uh, we had inauguration inauguration. yeah in three weeks the state Capitol so all those things happen in one bit or this the the national Capitol yeah 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 yeah, sorry the national Capitol and 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 so I think that that part of what we want to talk about today is as we've seen all of these things unfold in our country is just is it's just interesting time to be alive is how do we be Christian? And, and the word we want to use is how do we, you know, the name of our podcast, what does it mean to be an evangelical in the midst of all this? And we've talked about this before, but I think it's something that as Christians, we have to keep coming back to again and again and again, because we can, can, can get sidetracked. We can get loose in our understanding of who Jesus is calling us to be. And so I think it's really important for us to center our lives and to just keep coming back to what does it mean to be an evangelical? What does it mean to to live the life that God's calling us to live? Many of my friends that I follow on social media troll evangelicals. And this bothers me because, as we've talked about in previous episodes, evangelical means a good news sharer or the, the good news, the sharers of the good news, right, of the gospel of the good news. And if you're a follower of Jesus that takes seriously the call to share the good news of Jesus through your life, essentially, like, that is an evangelical. That means that you are an evangelical. The problem with the term is that, as we've talked about in our podcast, in the 70s and 80s, there was a movement of people that hijacked the term evangelical um, to really— to. To lift up uh, the moral majority, this idea that we're going to get all people who call themselves evangelical Christians that are Protestants in the United States to vote for the same thing. And the and the problem is that term became very politicized in that season, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And what has happened is then that so that was that generation was my parents' generation. And this became the identity of the evangelicals kind of on, in the secular world, on the national stage, the political arena. And what happened was that became a particular identity. And so what, what happens now is the children of those people want to say, that is not who I am. I am not an evangelical. But to say that I'm not an evangelical is to say, I'm not one who bears the good news. And I, I, I want to, I want to challenge that paradigm. I consider myself an evangelical. And um, we talked about there's kind of distinguishing then between evangelicals. Like when you say evangelical, I'm, when I say that I'm an evangelical, I don't say that in a political sense. Yeah. Evangelical is a religious term. It's a Christian term. 
It's not a political term. It's a term that's been hijacked by politics. And like, uh, our cards are on the table, folks. Like this, the whole point of us naming our podcast, The Evangelicals, is not just clickbait. It's that we legitimately want to redeem that title in our time, in our generation. That when people hear that word evangelical, they don't run away, but they think, oh man, these people are the ones that bear the good news. So to the to, back to the Capitol storming, nothing that happened on Capitol Hill that day was evangelical. Nothing that happened was good news. And as a Christian who isn't evangelical, I'm saying to you, no matter what a person would have said about themselves, no, if any one of those people would have self-identified as evangelical, they're lying. Because that's not, that's not evangelicalism. There's nothing good news about what happened on Capitol Hill that day. Jesus said, judge a tree by its fruit. And it's time that the real evangelicals stand up and judge that we judge ourselves. Paul says about judgment, he says, you have the mind of Christ. And when he talks about judging, he says, I'm not judging those outside of the church. I'm judging those inside the church because that's what Christians are called to do. We challenge each other. Now we need to start standing up as evangelicals and saying, you know what? That right there that happened, that's not evangelical Christianity. Nothing about it is evangelical Christianity. It's darkness. Jesus says in the last days, I'm not necessarily getting trying to get apocalyptic, but for all of the conservative evangelicals that are saying, you know, that these are the end times, Jesus says there will be false prophets that show up in the in, in the end times. They will be wolves in sheep's clothing. And I'm telling you, the people that 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 came on that took over Capitol Hill a couple of weeks ago, they were wolves. They were just wolves. There were no lambs there. They were all wolves, you know? And as more and more comes out about these people, I mean, they're just, you know, really not people with the highest character, you know? And, and I just, um, one of the things that is continually frustrating to me, and there are those that would say to me, Jonathan, you're, you're kind of um, beating, a, beating a dead horse's ethical colloquialism, or, or you're, you're trying to redeem something that's irredeemable. But the fact of the matter is, like, I'm not, I'm not interested in just, disregarding the language that the New Testament used to self-identify themselves in the world. I mean, evangelical is a great, it's a great Greek term and phrase. It's what we have. It's what we've been, we've been given. And we need to, as evangelicals, stand up and kind of right the wrong and say, you know what, all this nonsense that's happening has nothing to do with the good news of Jesus. And what's interesting is I think the term originally was a political propaganda for Rome. And and anytime Rome would conquer a new territory or whatever, they would come in and say, hey, we got good news. We got another piece of land or whatever. And Christians took that political propaganda and attributed it to who what Jesus had done in his life, death, resurrection across. Like this was actually the good news for the world. And and so Rome was, pro, was uh, you know, propagating, we're going to, have bring peace. Like we're going to bring the ultimate bringers of peace. And Caesar thought he was the son of God. And, and, and so they, they took some of these terms and applied it and said, this is how Rome is saying they're going to bring peace on earth. And they're going to bring this rule. It's, it's through violence and it's through, um, force. And Jesus comes along and says, no, the real good news is that it has nothing to do with you and we're actually going to serve each other and we're going to. And so I feel like what happened is the first Christians took it from a place of violence and force 
and applied it to Jesus's movement and what he was. And unfortunately, what mm-hmm. we have done mm-hmm. is we have taken it back to this political idea about how we're going to be in power and we're going to to rule and reign. And so it's almost like we've done the exact opposite of what the first Christians were doing when they talked about the good news is we've applied it back to Rome or the Babylon or the whatever you want to, um, whatever language, the empire maybe is the, the right word. And and so it's almost like we've we've reverted back to how the term was originally used and, and the way in which it was used rather than the way that Jesus understood it. And I think that a lot of, a lot of people in the Christian world, evangelical world are trying to abandon these terms because it comes, it does come with baggage, unfortunately. Yes. And so they don't even say they're Christian anymore. They say they're a Jesus follower and they don't say they're right. evangelical. They are a Jesus, you know? And so we've, so there are people who say we're just going to create new terminology and I don't know that they're wrong, but then there are those who say, no, we just need to recapture the essence of what these terms actually mean and redefine them and re-narrate them into the story of who God's calling us to be. And I think what's hard about that is, is you do run the risk. And I think that a lot of times people are afraid. So you, you, you called out what happened at the Capitol. And I think if we're really being true to who Jesus is, you have to to look at power and sometimes the people even the people that you voted for and say you're not being who like this policy or this whatever does not line up with who we think Jesus is even maybe to the detriment of them looking at us and saying well then I'm not going to give you what you want you know and um and and so it's it's a tricky thing if your goal is to achieve power and your goal is to to this is going to sound bad, but to get in bed with a leader so that they will give you what you think you want and the, you know, your judges or whatever um, list of things that you think are is really important. Well, when you start calling that leader to the carpet about things that they're doing that don't line up with who we call, you know, who we think Jesus is, well, then they may not give you the things that you want. And so unfortunately, what has happened is people who have claimed to be evangelicals or be a part of this movement allow things to slide that and they don't call out things that that maybe they should that don't line up with who we think Jesus is and what we think the good news is so that they can then potentially still get the power and the things that that they were promised from this this leader I guess there has been a phrase that I've heard around my own church I'm not going to speak for all churches everywhere that I think is about as anti-Christian as the term can be, but it's become very socially acceptable for us. And it is the lesser of two evils that somehow that I'm choosing the lesser of two evils. And by choosing the lesser of two evils, then I'm doing something good. And I've heard this about, I've heard this about um, the current political situation. I heard it about the 2016 election um, that, you know, uh, picking particularly in my context, particularly, Picking Donald Trump was the lesser of two evils. There were those that would have argued that picking um, Hillary Clinton was the lesser of two evils. It kind of depended on what your uh, perspective was, what was the issue that you were focusing on, right? Jeremy, a Christian doesn't choose evil. Like, okay, (laughs) like a Christian doesn't choose evil. We don't do that. We never, we never choose evil. Right. No matter how lesser it is. And, and that's not how we get goodness in the world. That's not, that's not what we do. And somehow, somehow, 
Our imagination has been so hijacked. We have been so seduced by power and this illusion that if somehow if I get the right person in the national level of leadership, my life is going to be better. I mean, listen, the moral majority was very successful in the 70s. I mean, this was a great, I mean, the, the propaganda was amazing. But like, let's just, let's look at, let's look at the Falwells. Yeah. Are these moral individuals? I mean, doesn't really seem like it now, you know? I mean, this is, the, the, um, this, our, our, we, we have become indifferent to our witness in the world and our testimony in the world. And listen, our podcast reaches, you know, several hundred people. And I'm, 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 in what I'm about to say, I, I want, I guess I want the listener to know I'm not like pretentious enough to think that, you know, I'm some national voice or something, but we need voices like ours who would, who would identify as Christian saying to the world, Hey, this is not Christian because what the world is saying is they're looking at these people who self-identify and they're saying, well, this is obviously Christian. And there aren't other Christians that are standing up and saying like, no, 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 no. We are the Christians. Here's what Christianity is. And this is not Christianity. Like we need more judgment in the church. We need more voices in the church that are, that are, that are judging trees by their fruit and are kind of reappropriating, uh, what it means to be Christian today. Uh, this, this, this old form of the moral majority, as far as it's related to Christianity, is dead in my opinion. It has absolutely no merit anymore. And the people that would want to hold on to it, um, they're they're going down with it with a they're going down with a sinking ship, in my opinion. I think that um Yeah, so it, it seems that uh so this Sunday at our, our church, uh we're gonna look at a passage where Jesus is preaching and teaching and some of the Pharisees come to him and say, Hey, you need to get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. And uh, it is kind of funny to me. And Jesus says, Hey, you go tell that Fox that uh, I'm still going to be casting out demons. I'm still going to be touching blind people. I'm still going to be. And, and it's just an interesting deal because it goes kind of harkens back to when Jesus begins his ministry and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, setting the oppressed free. And then John comes to him a little bit later and says, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, go tell John the blind are seen, the, the, the oppressed are being set free. And then later the political guy comes and says, I'm going to kill you. And Jesus says, I know, but my mission is still the same. The demons are being cast out. The blind are seen. And, and no matter what the political thing said, Jesus almost in essence was saying, I understand that this is this worldly power, but my mission, no matter what's happening in the world is still to be who God's called me to be in the midst of it all. And, and no matter what he thinks about who he is or who I am, I know who God's called me to be and I'm going to be this consistent. And then it has this idea where he's lamenting saying, I wish I could have gathered you together. Like, I wish I could have protected you, but you thought you knew better about who God was and what this was going to look like. So all that to say, I think that as we are journeying through this time, it's, it's, it's easy for us. And, and once again, we were kind of harping on the moral majority, but they are a big reason for where we, I think, currently find ourselves is, is I think that they gave us and they sold us an understanding of, of what it meant to be a Christian or evangelical. 
and they turned it into a an idea mainly centered around one issue but i feel like they they were looking at bigger issues but they they convinced us that if if you vote against somebody who believes this certain thing about abortion then you're not a Christian. This is the issue that we have to be in, involved in. And yet when we look at scripture, it seems that scripture is in, yes, concerned about, about life and when it begins, but it's also concerned about a lot of other things that, that we as Christians seem to just wipe, push to the side in an effort to um, once again, get certain people elected. And so to me, this whole fundamentalist, this whole understanding of how we view the Bible, I think is central to, to us reclaiming what it means to be evangelical and how we interpret scripture and how we look at scripture and how we think, um, how we understand what scripture is supposed to be for the Christian and for the believer. Because I think how we handle the Bible, the sacred text that, that, that we have um, determines a lot about how we also view our role and and view our understanding about what life might look like for the evangelical well one of the things that we have grown accustomed to in at least in my experience of evangelical christianity is bible shooting wars where we where we take particular verses and we say you know i believe this because the bible says this and we'll you know give this give this verse for example women preaching you know there are there are many people that say you know women should not be preachers uh john MacArthur, we i think we talked about this while ago john MacArthur said this right about beth Moore. Uh, yeah the, yeah 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 he says you know beth Moore, and he brings up the, you know, the scripture home. yeah go home because you know paul says to timothy women shouldn't talk in the church well what john MacArthur never preaches on is joel 2 or acts 2 that say in the last days god says i'm going to pour out my spirit on men and women and women are going to prophesy like he never preaches on that because that would go against the text that he wants to lift up as the most important. And what we have done in evangelicalism is we've done this exact thing, is that we've lifted up uh, particular ideas in scripture and said, these are really, really important. So the idea of, of the sacredness of life as it pertains to the issue of abortion, we lift this up. I was doing a, um, I was doing a, a class uh for the for the church called Hot Topics this last semester, and we would talk about different things. And one night we talked about politics, and I I asked the class, a, I would say majority of conservative voters, uh, who you know what's what's the issue that's kind of the non negotiable for Christian voters, and almost everyone just shouted out uniformly abortion. And I said, you got it, you guys, you got it. Yes, we can't let abortion. And I showed them, you know, two verses that the Bible says in re in relation to abortion, uh, something about being created in our mother's womb. And then uh, I forget, I forget what the other one was, but really, I mean, the Bible doesn't really talk about abortion that yeah. much. I mean, it just doesn't, you know? Okay. So and Jesus never, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You would have to kind of twist his words to, to, to say that he was specifically addressing abortion. Uh, right. right. So then. So then I said, so what's the so what's the so what's the what's the liberal the democratic idea that would say you got to vote liberal if you're a Christian? You could hear mice mice right. I mean, completely silent. I was like, you guys, immigration, <laughs> and, and everybody everybody in the room they're like, what are you talking about? And so then I go through two pages of texts from the beginning, you know, through Jesus driving people out of the temple, 
saying, well, the Bible is all about the foreigner and the alien and how you're treating the foreigner and the alien. This was complete news to this group of people. Nobody had ever taught them about that because a part of the evangelical voting block agenda has been lifting up particular elements of the Bible and neglecting others. And what has happened is we've created a political Christianity in America that is not biblical. That is not biblical. It's not. We're lying to people. James Dobson, I, I honestly, like I've read a lot of his stuff on parenting. I've listened to him talk. He has been a very influential person in my life and in my upbringing. And in many ways, like I thank God for his influence. Okay. But he started lying to people later in life. This idea that like Christians need power and he'll, he will give you kind of biblical justification. That's only half the story. Right. It's not the full story, you guys. And I don't get it. I don't get it. But I'm, I'm someone who's called as kind of a, as a minister of the gospel to call things what they are. And like, I don't know how we in evangelical Christianity are, are allowing people who have been our loudest voices like James Dobson to continually shape Franklin Graham. Some of the stuff that he's been saying over the last like couple of years are just idiotic. Is that even a word? <laughs> I mean, just, just, just almost kind of like borderlining insane in the sense that that we're, we're being very selective on what we're focusing on in scripture and we're not paying attention to the other, the elements of our faith. Christianity is not simple. Right. That's a lie of the evangelical voting block that it's this simple vote this thing. Well, I'm sorry, but like people all throughout the new test, all throughout the gospels came to Jesus with very, very difficult questions and he never gave them straight answers. He would tell them stories. He said to Nicodemus, you know, the thing is, man, like, it's about being born again. And, and Nicodemus is like, what are you saying? Like, I have all of this tradition, you know, and all this learning. Are you implying that I would crawl back into my mother's womb as a grown man? And Jesus is like, you need to be born again. <laughs> and it's like, what does that she's mean? She's like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> How did you know? Like, I, I think that, um, once again, approach to scripture, once again, why, why I think it's so big is so from a, f a fundamentalist understanding is the Bible turns into or is turned into a list of propositions that you have to believe. So you believe this, 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 and I think there was nine of them or 10 of them. And, and as long as you believe these things. And so what happens is for them, Christian formation is I'm going to tell you what to believe. And as long as you believe these things, um, then, then you're good. And so then you can, can translate that into when you're thinking about voting, you got to vote for this, 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 and this. However, in our, our denomination, and you know, we claim to be a Wesleyan, the Bible is not so much a set of propositions as, it much, as much as it is something that we read to allow God to transform us into people who are like him and people who live like him and people who think like him and people who, who try to respond to the world and the needs of the world in such a way that isn't based on, well, I believe this, therefore I'm a Christian. It's more of God is making me more like him and I am being transformed into his image again and again and again and again and again. And as I do that, it's going to cause me to be a different person in the world. And it may not cause me to vote a certain way, but it's going to literally cause me to be the good news for the immigrant and the widow and the orphan and those who are marginalized and those who don't have a voice. And so if you, when you approach scripture, if you're just looking for a lot of things to believe, um, 
it will then cause you, I think, to look at your political life in such a way that as long as I do this, 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 and this, or vote this way, this way, this way, then God's going to be happy and I'm going to be okay. But if you are looking at scripture, not for how, not for the information I can get, but for the transformation that it wants to do in my heart and life, well, that's a whole nother issue because it has nothing to do with how you vote or even how you think, although I think both of those things are potentially important to the life of the believer. But how do you live? How do you, how do you truly see the world as different? And so it's not just an information load. Um, it's not a, let me get the hard drive from your computer and download it into my brain. It's how, how is God changing and transforming your heart to be more like him? And I think those are different spectrums of how we approach the scripture, which then is a different spectrum on how we approach life and, and life and the, the culture and the community that we live in. Well, and Christian discipleship is, is fundamentally a shift in and how we understand the way that we come to understand Christian discipleship is yeah. you come to understand not by think, not by sitting in a classroom and learning to think you think how to be more like Jesus by living it out. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I, be- all that I believe about immigration because the fact of the matter is Jeremy, I live in a insular community that doesn't have a lot of open immigrants in it. You know? Yeah. And so for me to say that I have an opinion about immigration when I don't have a bunch of immigrants regularly in my life is insane yeah. as a Christian because Christians understand we, – we believe that understanding comes through living. Understanding comes through – and this is, I mean, this is the Matthew 25 passage, which constantly haunts us if we actually take the Bible seriously. Right. All of the people at the end who are confident about their faith, who are confident about their belief, who call Jesus Lord, he says to them, away from me. And, and he says, you never fed me. You never took care of me. And they're like, Lord, you're confused, Jesus. You're confused. We never saw you. And he's like, you guys, it wasn't about what you believed in your head, what you didn't live out is what in the end, what damned you, what sent you, you know, what will send you to hell. Right. And, and, and that's, we don't read that passage critically enough. Like it is not about what you believe. Nobody's getting, Jesus tells us that story. Matthew preserves that story to tell us as bearers of the good news. It's not just about what you believe. It's not just about belief. And for some reason, we've lifted up the Romans 10 passage. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. When in Roman culture, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you are getting thrown to the lions. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, people are walking around. It was, it was so much, oh, it was so much more critical. Like to his You're context, a little fired up. I am. <laughs> Keep it going. That's good. No, it's good. This is good. Paul's context. Of saying that is so different than ours. It's just so sad that like we don't even understand the context of the Roman church, but yet we lift this up and tell, you know, four and five year olds in Sunday school, like, hey, if you pray this prayer, you're gonna go to heaven when you die, and it honestly doesn't really matter how you live your life. We just wanna make sure that we get you on the roll as praying this prayer. When like Paul would Paul would be like, 
what are you, how are you indoctrinating these poor children? They're going to grow up to be non-Christians. Well, look at what's happened, Jeremy. They sure have grown up to be non-Christians. I mean, it's, it's, we're, it's, I mean, we're just, there's so much cognitive dissonance in the church, but we've programmed ourselves this way because we've politicized everything because we've been selective with our, you know, understanding of the Bible. I am fired up right now. And I don't, I don't know that, uh, uh, kind of redeem the conversation. Take us. Well, I don't know if I can somewhere. redeem. I don't need. I don't think it needs to be redeemed. But I think that. Um, so I watched an NTRI video, uh, and and we talked about it in my my small group and with another group that I meet with, and 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 the video is basically like, what's the gospel? And one of the questions NT Wright was asked is, is the gospel of Paul different than the actual gospel? Which I thought was a fascinating question, and um, and NT Wright. What, what he really tried to get at and help, uh, I think, understand. Because then another question was, why do you always talk about that the life of Jesus is just as important as the death and resurrection or, you know, in, in the resurrection. That's a very important thing for N.T. Wright. Yes. N.T. Wright is critical of the creeds because he says that the creeds, they skip, skip a over. majority of the gospel story right. and they skip right to the, I believe in Jesus Christ the Lord, who was born of a Virgin Mary, suffered, suffered. under Pontius Pilate. <laughs> like yeah. it goes from... Born to death. To death. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that he says, because what we have to understand is Jesus was crucified because of the way he lived, that it wasn't just about, like, if it was just about his death, I was walking my dogs the other day and I told this to both of our groups. Like if it was just about his death, why didn't God just let him be killed when he was two years old for when Herod was killing all the, the Jewish baby boys? Like if he just needed somebody to die, right? Like the, the, if it was just about the death. But, but I think it was also about how he lived and in understanding that the, the reason he was killed the way he was was because of his life. And so there's got to be something important about how he, he lived and chose to be in the world. And, and so as we are trying to understand what the gospel is, unfortunately, we've focused on Paul and Romans and and that. And so N.T. Wright says, the only way you can talk about the gospel and the only way you can talk about the good news is it's got to include Jesus. <laughs> you can't leave Jesus and his life out of it. And and we, we turned it into um, a, a proposition of things to believe. And so I think that, that as we are trying to, um, to seek to be the holy people or seek to live the way that he's calling us to, and understand that once again, it's not just about this proposition, this list of things, this this list of um, if you vote the right way, and or if you're a Christian, this is how you're going to vote. If, no, if you're a Christian, you're going to to go to those places where suffering is the most, and and pain is the most, and hurt is the most, and be Jesus in those instances, in those moments. And uh, um, and I I, I um I love um I, mean, I just had a thought and it slipped my mind um. You've ever had those moments where it just like it flies away all the time. Um, but I think that as we are seeking, oh, it was about Wesley, and so Wesley, John Wesley, John Wesley, sorry, um, who once again we attribute a lot of our theology to, had these small groups that that they did study scripture and they did try to get information, but there was all they also went to the prison and they also went and and ministered to the homeless, and so it. it it's not that we're saying that that knowledge is not important and it's not important for us to study and to, to learn and to, to, to listen to people who are smart. And, and But it it's, should never be to the neglect that we are called to live a certain way and be a certain way. And 
And in Matthew 25, I think one of the biggest words, one of the most important words in that passage is they say, when, when do we do this? It's not like they were intentionally trying to go do these things. They were just being who they thought Jesus, they were just living the life that as a follower of Jesus, it's not like they were like, well, now I got to go minister to the homeless. No, they just did it because as they were following the ethic of the one whom they were called to follow, this was just the natural outcome of a life transformed into the image of who Jesus has called us to be. A question that we need to ask to have a, a question of evangelical integrity that I think we all should ask is this, has the gospel of Jesus changed my life? Has it changed my life? Or is evangelicalism, is it just an identity that I carry around with me as a part of my cultural status quo? Because the fact of the matter is, um, there was a rich young man once that came to Jesus and asked, hey, you know, what do I need to do uh, to, be, to be saved, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, be a good Jewish boy. And he says, well, I have been a good Jewish boy. And he says, you want to be perfect? You want to go the distance? He says, well, yeah, that's why I'm here. And he says, sell everything you have and come follow me. And the fact of the matter is that good, that good, rich Jewish boy went away, walked away sad because he didn't really want his status quo to be upset. He didn't really want to relinquish his power. He didn't really want to relinquish his source of identity. What he wanted was Jesus to affirm the way he was living his life. And the fact of the matter is many of us, myself included, okay, I'm going to come back to that idea. My, but I want to say myself included. Many of us, political identity uh, or um, our, re our religious identity, which has been hijacked by politics, our religious identity really just affirms our status quo. And uh, I want to I want to say something else. I'm I'm always suspicious when I'm listening to a podcast or an author and they talk about politics because I always wonder to myself, are they trying to dupe me? It does seem like Jeremy and I have been like really like kind of like trashing, um, like alt right Christianity. And so there maybe there's a thought out there. Maybe these guys are flaming Democrats who are trying to get us all to like vote left. And I just want to say that's not the case. Like I'm not I'm not a I'm not. Politically, I don't I don't have a home personally. Yeah, and I'm I'm being very very sincere. I don't know that I voted for a major candidate in the last three elections. I'm not going to speak for Jeremy. I'm just saying like because for me, I have a real tough time with politics. Right. I have a very tough time with it. I don't know what to do with it because like people always say, listen, my evangelical Christians friends they say vote the Bible and do your research. So I'm like. All right, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna read the Bible on this one, and I'm gonna do my research. And I start researching into these candidates, and I'm like, wow, these are kind of shady people. And I start like looking at the issues, and I'm like, wow, this party has some serious flaws. Wow, so does this party. And I like with integrity, I have a hard time voting for a major political party as a Christian. And listen, listen, I understand. You got James Dobson out there. You got you know all of these very strong evangelical Christians that would say that I'm that I'm an idiot, that I am obviously not, I don't have my priorities correct, but I look at them and I look at how kind of the evangelical voting block has really promoted their status quo. I mean, Franklin Graham, you want to talk about Richmond? And this guy, yeah, he's sending shoeboxes to kids, but man, he sure is taking the cream off the top for himself. I mean... You know, and, and I just, I just, as we're, as we're talking about like what it means to be good news bearers, I, 
I recognize Jesus says to me, take up your cross and follow me. And I am very hesitant to stand in any political camp and jump up and down when there's a political victory because Jesus was crucified by the state. And, and regardless of who the principality is at the, at the particular time, you know, they, they deserve reverence as Paul teaches, but we also should be a lot more concerned with our allegiance to Jesus than we are, you know, our political identity or allegiance. Yeah. I think you hit on something that, that really, I think is pretty significant and maybe it's what you want to come back to in just a little bit. I don't know, but I think a lot of the political, the political talk is they, they, once again, they frame it around one issue, but I think it really has to do with, they think this person is going to make it where I'm not going to potentially be persecuted for my faith. It's about comfort. And I've, I've heard that in this election that I'm voting for religious freedom. Yeah. That's what I've heard. No, you're, you're bringing up a significant thing. Yeah. And I think, but when we hear Jesus talk, he, he, he almost assures us that there will be persecution. <laughs> and I feel like we are holding on to a, a certain political party because we want to be comfortable. And that, that, maybe brings a fog or something before us and we're voting for comfort more than we're voting for a religious ethic of who we're calling Jesus uh, or who we think Jesus may be calling us to be. And so that I can not be persecuted and I can be comfortable and I can not have to worry. Now, listen, I appreciate all those things. I'm not, I'm not clamoring for, for persecution, but I think that, that we sac we sacrifice sometimes the message of what it really means to be evangelical for comfort. And I think that's what the rich young ruler, he he liked his life. He didn't want to give up his life. He didn't want to surrender um, his comfort on some level and, and all the things that he probably enjoyed. And, and once again, I'm thankful that we have those freedoms and that we have those things. But when I look at scripture, and what Jesus said about people who follow after him, that is never promised. And it's never, in fact, the opposite is promised. Like you will be, if they persecute me, what makes you think they're not going to come after you? And so as we're journeying through this life and all the things that we're going, that's going on, maybe a, a good exercise is, am I voting this way for personal reasons or is it really kingdom reasons? <laughs> am I voting this way because of what I'm going to get out of it? And not maybe where the world is and what that looks like as far as bringing about his kingdom and really making this place a little bit more on earth as it is in heaven. So I, I'm a Nazarene pastor. I mean, we're both Nazarene pastors. However, I didn't grow up Nazarene. I didn't join the church of the Nazarene with my family until I was 12. And before I was, before that, my family was a part of the missionary denomination, which is a group that spun off of the Mennonites. And one of the things that I've realized as I've grown older is that there are some kind of Mennonite tendencies that I have within myself that I received, that I received from uh, my father in particular. And these are good things. Uh, there are many things about the Mennonite, the Mennonites that I uh, really revere and uh, think are wonderful things. Well, Mennonites 
have this kind of separatist understanding, at least yeah. conservative Mennonites, of their relationship with the world. Many Mennonites do not vote because they don't think that they're that they need to have any interest in the kingdom of this world because they're people that are part of the kingdom of God. There's an early Mennonite story uh, that I should have looked up the names before getting on the, the podcast, but it's just kind of come to me. There's an early Mennonite story of one of the early um, um, Amish or Mennonites in Europe. Uh, they were, um, he this this individual um, had been, um, he'd been put, thrown into prison um, for being an Anabaptist. And uh, he escaped from prison and had been, um, was barely, was barely making it. I mean, he was um, very thin uh, and he really felt, you know, his only way of, to survive. He might've even been, um, he may have been almost going to be executed, but he, he, he escapes from prison and there, he's being held in a castle and there's a moat around the castle and he, it's um, at winter time and he's running across the moat that's frozen and a soldier is chasing after him. And this individual, uh, the soldier that's chasing after him, after he, this light, lighter man made it across the ice, he falls into the ice and he screams, you know, help me, help me, I'm drowning. Well, this this Anabaptist, he turns around and he comes back and he picks the man up out of the ice and he saves his life. And what does the soldier do? But he recaptures him, takes him back, and they execute the man the next day. And... This story was told to me when I went to the um, Amish and Mennonite Heritage Center in uh, Holmes County in Ohio. There's a, a beautiful mural there in display. And if you if you go, you can kind of hear the story of the Amish and the Mennonites. It's just really a dynamic story and testimony. And the, um, the, the tour guide uh, who was telling the story, he said, you know, this is one of the most important stories that although we often tell many stories when we talk about the heritage of the Amish and the Mennonite, this is one of the most important stories because in many ways this captures the spirit of our faith that we always look, um, we always look to preserve the life of the other over against our own. Yeah. This is the way of peace. Yeah. This is the way of Jesus. Yeah. And I think that in our own time as evangelical Christians, maybe we have been more interested in self-preservation, yeah. in power preservation, than we have been in the preservation of the life of the other. And this is, I mean, really one of the great concerns that I have kind of in this conversation of redeeming the idea of what it means to be evangelical, what it means to be the good news, is that we have been so invested in personal preservation that we have lost. Um, what if... What if saving the life of another means losing something for ourselves? Are we open to that? I mean, it seems that Jesus was. Yeah. I mean, that was his whole mission was laying down his life for the other, right? Yeah. I think that um, that a, a phrase that comes to mind was one that our founding father, the Nazarenes, Phineas Brzee, and, and, and he didn't coin the phrase, but... Um, is I think that something that we really got to get back to as far as evangelicals is what are the essentials of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Yeah. We've lost that way, I think on some level. And, and if we can recover this understanding that, that God sent Jesus to redeem all of creation to himself. And he did that through his life and death and resurrection. And, 
And then if we're following after him, those are the things that would be important to us. But uh, Brzee said, um, once again, you probably heard it before, but essentials, um, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, love or charity. And um, and so we need to reclaim what are what are those essentials? What does make us the good news? And then understand that that maybe politically there's some liberty that we can give each other because we are trying to be who Jesus is calling us to be. But understand that politically that's not the essential. The essential is who Jesus is forming us to be through his love and grace for the world. Like that's the essential for, I would say for an evangelical, that's the good news. And that doesn't matter if you're an American, it doesn't, that will preach anywhere. That, that is the gospel for the world is through Jesus as we have hope and life and redemption and reconciliation and forgiveness. And if we could reclaim that, whether you're Nazarene or Baptist or Pentecostal or Presbyterian or Lutheran, if we could somehow understand that that's the good news, that not just for America, but for the world, that's the essential. And then there's some liberty and then non-essentials. And and to me, that's where I think political parties may come in. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, it's not essential to our faith. And so we have some liberty with each other. I understand that this is an important issue for you. So you're going to vote this way because you think this candidate is going to really focus on this. And we all have things that we're passionate about, but we got to come back to this. But in all things, (laughs) love, whether essential or not, like in all things, if we can't be a different voice of love in the world, then we are just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If we can't be this different way of speaking to each other and being benevolent to each other and being empathetic to each other and having true understanding of trying to understand where the other person's coming from, um, then, then the evangelicals have lost their voice on some level. And, and so how do we reclaim the essential of our faith that isn't just good news for America, but it's good news for the world. Yes. And how do we understand that we have liberty for each other and the non-essentials? But in all of it, how do we have this ethic of love? Charity. And charity that, that allows us to, to be a different voice, a different story for the world. Amen. For those who are wondering, the story I referenced today was the story of Dirk Williams, a 16th century Anabaptist. As always, we recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 